Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for good Sunday mornings. We thank you, God, that all of us can stand here and sing together, especially for good songs. Songs that are either all about how great you are, or songs that are either all about how much we need you. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, God, that that's not a depressing, hopeless state to be in, God. That is the most joyful, satisfying, content place to be, needing you and yet having you. As our God and Father, our great God and Savior, our Lord and King Jesus. And there's nothing that can separate us from you if we are in Christ. So, Father, today, as we look to your word, we ask that you would create that. Strengthen the faith of those who are already trusting in Christ. God, draw those to you who perhaps are not. We ask for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, just please grab the Black Pew Bible there, page 920. 920 in the Black Pew Bible there in front of you. Mark chapter 1. We will end chapter 1 today. I love, I love baptizing people. It's exciting when somebody gets to be baptized. And not at all because I like getting in the water. But rather because baptism is a picture of what God has done in somebody's heart. And I believe with everything that is in me by the grace of God, that God can and does completely change people's hearts. I do. I believe that the work that Jesus does in somebody is He will change their heart. That He will make them a believer. And then they'd be baptized to show that's what's happened. I believe with everything that in me that God has done that to Megan. And I was encouraged to baptize her today. She has her eyes on Jesus and is growing in her faith. And we thank God for that. We have come to know and believe that Jesus does that, not so much in that we see His work in people's lives, although we do. Many of you are a great, strong, living testimony to the powerful grace work in, in, in your life. And I see that. But long before I ever saw it happening in somebody's lives, I saw it in the Scripture that God is able to do that. And the Bible gives us story after story of the great power that Jesus has that He can change people's lives. He can. The Bible lets us know that Jesus is God, and in understanding that Jesus is God, He obviously can do whatever He wants. And He is never, never taken back by anything. Even the things that would be totally frightening and undoing to us. Even those of you that are macho. Jesus is never taken back. He can handle everything. He is God Almighty, and we see that in the work that He does. Well, in our passage today, at the end of Mark chapter 1, we have Jesus cleansing a leper healing someone who has a very serious skin disease. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 1, beginning of verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, 
you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Simple passage, right? Just a few verses here at the end of Mark. Simple story, if you will, if you've ever read the Gospels. This is, this is a story about Jesus healing a man that needed healing. And it seems to be, on many levels, very simple. But I think if you'll spend some time here with me today looking through this, you're going to see what I mean about the Jesus being God and therefore the power of God being seen in Jesus. I want to give you three points today. Number one, if you're taking notes, we approach Jesus with contrition. We approach Jesus with contrition. Number two, He accepts us with compassion. He accepts us with compassion. And then number three, we advance the gospel with confidence. We advance the gospel with confidence. We approach Jesus with contrition. He accepts us with compassion. And then we advance the gospel with confidence. We'll see this in our passage today. Verse 40 begins, a leper came to him. That's the setting. Jesus is doing his ministry. It just began here in chapter 1. We're not that far away from John the Baptist saying that he's coming and now he's here. Well, verse 39, which the last time, two weeks ago we were in Mark, look at what verse 39 says. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus is well on his way doing his ministry. He's going from place to place to place to place. And he would find himself in a synagogue and he would preach the word of God and then he would go and live and demonstrate the power of God. You have both of these with Jesus. You have a declaration that the word of God, the word of God is the absolute truth and authority. And anybody living anywhere at any time who does not believe and submit to the word of God is wrong, is out of line, is in error. And Jesus would say that, as the whole Bible would say that. But then he would go and live and treat people and strive with people and love people and accept people and deal with people and help people and cure people. And on and on. Jesus was the ultimate, listen to me, people person. And although you think it impossible, he had such strong convictions. Hear me again. The ultimate people person was so rigid in what he believed was right and wrong. Hey, it's possible for you to walk in grace and have conviction that there is truth and yet love people like they've never been loved before. That's how our Lord Jesus was. And may we represent him well in that regard. Verse 39 lets us know that this was his ministry. He's moving around everywhere, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And so Mark, this is not the first time, Mark wants to give us another example of this. This is not the first one. If you look back to um, verse 21... It says, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he had taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Verse 23, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
So this demon, this unclean spirit, talks back to Jesus, even starts the conversation by yelling at Jesus. And he knows who Jesus is. But verse 24, while all of us would have been taken back by that, he is not. Verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Yes. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, God the Son, speaks to demons, and demons obey. Verse 39 says he continues on throughout Galilee doing more of that. And then verse 40, Mark, we're still in chapter 1. Mark wants to show us that same divine power, but in a little bit of a different look. A leper came to him, and I'm telling you how we, point number one, we approach Jesus with contrition. I hope contrition is not a word that's misleading you. Contrition is this, this broken spirit, this, this repentant heart, this I'm convicted, this I, I need you, I'm not right, I need help. Contrition is this sorrow over your sins, I, I need God. That's contrition. Some of you may remember Psalm 51, David's great prayer of repentance over his sexual sin with Bathsheba. He says, a contrite heart you like, God. A broken and contrite heart. David uses this word in Psalm 51 where he is bothered that he has sinned against God. And he even says very clearly, against you, God, I have sinned. Against God. So I'm giving you this word today, contrition, about how we approach Jesus. And the leper, okay, although in this passage it's not showing us that the leprosy is a sin, okay? Do not hear that. The leprosy, the skin disease, is not a sin. The, the leper still knows himself to be a sinner. In verse 40 you have, he came to Jesus, so he's approaching Jesus, and he's imploring him, your version may say beseeching him, or it may say begging him. He has approached Jesus, and he is down kneeling, it says here in verse 40, and he is before Jesus. Can you imagine? I know you go to church, you're here today, but have you ever approached Jesus with contrition? Have you ever been on your knees before him? Have your children ever stumbled into your bedroom and found you on your knees? Have they ever woken up a little bit early to find you in prayer? Have you ever bowed your heart or your knees before God? Yet further, have you ever implored God? Have you ever beseeched Him? Have you ever begged God for anything? This is the way we see this leprous man approaching Jesus with contrition. I want to talk for a minute about leprosy. We hear skin disease. Some of your versions might even say skin disease. Mine, has, mine says leper, but then it's got a footnote that says could be a, a number of skin diseases. I don't know if you've ever dealt with leprosy before, but it is about as, as wicked of a skin disease as there can be. It is truly an evil disease. It's a, it's a, it's a disease that gets on your skin but before long begins to cause your body parts to fall off, to rot away. 
thankful for all the medicines that we have here in the, in the USA. You may have never seen this before. But leprosy is still common in our world today. When Josh Powell was our pastor here, he was the pastor from 03 to 09. He went on a mission trip to India. India is the second most populous country in the world behind China. There are over a billion people in India. Over a billion. That's a lot. There are a lot of lepers there. Leprosy is there. When Josh came back from his trip to India, which is on the other side of the world, one of the things that he brought me in a gift was just a little 4 by 6 printout photo for me to put in my office. When he showed me that picture, it was a picture of two feet taken like this. Some dirty, worn out feet in sandals. I said, that's pretty cool. Best never gotten a gift like that before. So what what is this? He quoted me a passage in the Gospels that says, How beautiful are the feet of those who take good news. People that tell people about Jesus have beautiful feet because they're they're using their feet to get, get there. I said, man, that's awesome. Well, whose feet are these? He told me about a pastor that he met in India. He doesn't have a big, nice church like this. He pastors a leper colony. Nobody else wants to pastor there. Seems that people are always looking for bigger and better jobs. This guy is the pastor of a leper colony. He goes into that leper colony that has, he said, some 30 homes in it. If you don't have feet, you can't walk, and they don't have the benefits of wheelchairs. So he goes in, has to get there about three hours early, goes into each home, asks them if they want to come to worship today. They say, yeah. He picks them up on his back, again, bare feet, sandals, carries them to the center of the town, gets them a seat, goes to the next home, about 30 homes. Would you like to come today? And they say, you feeling well enough to come? Yeah. Carries them. People who don't have hands, people who don't have feet, people because of their leprosy who have lost limbs of their body. This man gathers them all up, brings them together, leads a church service. They sing, preaches the word of God to them. They have church. Then the service is over, he takes them all back. He's a pastor to lepers. Josh was amazed at that guy's devotion to his people. I'm glad he brought me that picture. I've never forgotten that. In 2002, I got to go on a mission trip to Ethiopia. At the time, 2002, it was the poorest country in the world. I think Haiti has passed it now. I'm not sure. Ethiopia always is one of the poorest. I encountered many people who did not have uh, parts of the body. I remember one girl who had no hands and one leg. She was about like this. And with her elbows, she would, she would hold like a, a, a jar asking people to, to give her money like, like a beggar. It was so sad to see somebody who had left, who had lost half a leg and lost their hands. And you just think, man, they're, they're, they're so limited. And you would ask, like, what is this? And people say, it's leprosy. You get this disease and all of a sudden you start losing body parts eventually. It's terrible. Here in the Bible, this man has leprosy. In our world, we don't experience it too much. So we don't even know how we would experience it. 
But back in their time, especially in the Old Testament, they were taught that this represented somebody who was unclean. And if you're unclean, you were supposed to stay away. There's a lot of this type of talk in the Old Testament. If you're unclean, you're supposed to stay away. And if you were to touch this person, you would be made unclean. In a very similar way today, if you hear somebody has a serious case of the flu or strep throat or something like that, or maybe something even more serious, you want to keep away. Hey, hey, don't shake my hand today. No hugs today. Don't cough in my face. Don't kiss me, please. I'm not trying to get sick. Leprosy is much more serious. You don't touch this person, you might get leprosy. And everybody knew that. And even on a very spiritual, religious sense, they were to stay away from the people, and the people were to stay away from them. This guy knows this. Jesus even refers to all of that understanding when after he heals him, he tells him to go see the priests like Moses has commanded. This leper decides that he knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus is can do. Even though it's early in the ministry of Jesus, he's already heard about the unclean spirit. He's already heard that Jesus is going around and and preaching and healing. He's heard. And this leper decides to risk it all, if you will. One commentator says that his posture in coming betrays the long humiliation of his affliction. Enough's enough, he may have said. I can't sit here and suffer forever. Let me try to get to Jesus. The leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. I want you to see here how he approaches Jesus. He doesn't come at him as if Jesus owes him something seems to me that people like myself or perhaps like you think that if I've suffered, I so deserve a break, right? Is somebody at least going to look on my pitiful state and finally just do good to me? Don't y'all care? And then we treat God that way too, right? God, why, why is God doing this to me? And a man who in many ways is in a rougher position than most of us, he has leprosy, comes to him, and in a great picture of contrition says, if you will. In other words, I know you can, but if you will. Can I remind you all here today that the Bible and God's word and God's methods and God's way and God's message and God's salvation has never ever been like a a program systematic thing. If you do this, you get this. Has big business, results-driven America caused us to think about church and Bible as if, if I go do this, then God ought to do this? Yesterday, I had to work nursery for the first time in forever for the ladies' tea. I got a wake-up call to what that's like. Little Levi Huff kept asking me to read him books. So we sat there in the chair and we read nearly every book that's in our nursery. And we got to this one book that's something about if Jesus was a little boy and he could come to my house. And it got to the very end, the last page. And the book's not terrible, it's pretty good. I'm not not sure who put it there, but don't be upset if you put it there. I'm not mad. But the very last page of the book says, and God will bless you too, little boy, if you are good and kind. 
You don't have that in the Bible, folks. That's a give me what I want if I do what you say. This leper comes to him and says, if you will. Reminds me of the sinful tax collector who says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you will, you can make me clean. He's not coming to God saying, I know that you can, well, why don't you? You know, everybody says you're real, and I just heard the preacher say you changed lives. Well, you've never changed mine. You're not doing it for me. And I've been to church before, nothing ever changed. I tried to read my Bible, nothing ever happened. And we get this attitude like we have more ability than God, or if God doesn't do what we want Him to do as if we're God, then we're going to distance ourselves from God. We don't approach Jesus with contrition. I want to remind you here today that the, the, the Bible does teach clearly. The Bible does teach clearly that all, listen to me, all who come to Jesus by faith and repentant heart, all who come to Him, He will by no means cast out. Anybody, anybody, anybody that comes to Jesus broken and kneeling down saying, Father, help, have mercy upon me, a sinner, forgive me, help me, He will. And we have example after example after example after example of people coming to Him in their contrition, approaching Him, and Jesus saying, yes. In this passage, He should not have come to Jesus by other people's standards. And I'm sure that there were people standing by going, what's He doing? I, I, I don't want this. We're going to get sick. We're going to catch the disease. But the leper now has realized who Jesus is. This is God Almighty. This is King of Kings. This man is not worried about anything. Storms on the sea don't bother him. Demon-possessed people don't bother him. And the wickedest of diseases do not bother him. And you may be here today thinking, well, I don't know many people with leprosy. How does that connect to me? And I want to assure you that yes, you probably don't have leprosy and you may not even have a disease on the outside. But I do want you to hear today in the, in, in the kindest of terms, the Bible teaches that a sinful heart is like a disease. It will kill you. Listen to J.C. Ryle as he speaks about this. Is there nothing like leprosy among ourselves? Yes, indeed there is. There is a foul soul disease which is ingrained into our very nature and it cleaves to our bones and marrow with deadly force. That disease is the plague of sin. Like leprosy, it is a deep-seated disease infecting every part of our nature, heart, will, conscience, understanding, memory, and our affections. Like leprosy, it makes us loathsome and abominable, unfit for the company of God and unmeet for the glory of heaven. Like leprosy, it is incurable by any earthly physician and is slowly but surely dragging us down to the second death. And worst of all, far worse than leprosy, it is a disease from which no mortal man is exempt. We are all in God's sight according to Isaiah 64 like one who has become unclean. We are all in God's sight, according to Isaiah 64, like one who has come unclean. 
So we read here in Mark chapter 1 about the leper, and we think to ourselves, wow, poor guy, tough situation. How's Jesus going to handle him? And we tend to step back and say, well, I'm so glad that I don't have any problems that are that big. But I want you to hear today that perhaps our problems are even bigger. This guy models for us how you should come to Jesus. You should approach him with contrition, with a broken heart with a sadness that says, I need you. What a perfect song choice. And I know Marcus chose the song on purpose, a song right before the sermon that cries out, I need you, oh, I need you. I need you, God. And this leper comes to him, he kneels down, he begs, and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice here, he absolutely knows Jesus can. It's not, well, I... I've known some other Christians that seem to be pretty good people, so I'm going to give it a shot, which a lot of people do. Hey, I'm down, I'm down at the, the, the bottom of the rope, so I'm going to start going to church. Or the advice that you hear many people give, man, you, you, you're struggling a little bit. You, you might need to go to church. I might help you out. Y'all, we come to Jesus knowing he's God Almighty, King of Kings. This guy has all authority in heaven on earth. Nobody, nobody gets in his way. He is an unstoppable force of changing people's lives. And when you come to know that, you go to him and say, Oh, if you will, you can make me clean, Jesus. Jesus hears it. We ask now, secondly, how is he going to respond? Number two, he accepts him with compassion. If you're here today and you don't know much about Jesus, perhaps you're one of those who don't read the Bible, and maybe your idea of Jesus has been distorted a little bit because you know so many people that claim Jesus that don't represent him right, I'm glad you're here today. Because in Mark chapter 1, Mark shows us what our Lord is like. Verse 41 says, Moved with pity. Your version might say that he was moved with compassion. In other words, Jesus felt for this man. Jesus understood this man. And Jesus sees that this man is coming to him the way sinners come to a holy God who is rightfully so the judge of all creation. I want you to hear today that yes, it is true that God is a wrathful God that will judge people and send them to hell. But He has told us, everybody come to Him and He will forgive you of your sins. He will escape you from the judgment, escape you from hell, and you will be His in His love, in His mercy, as His child in heaven, His kingdom, forever with no suffering. And He invites all of you to come. It is the person who does not want that God who will have to face the judgment and rejection of God. And it is not necessary. Here in this passage, a man, I'm telling you, who has the disease so bad that nobody, 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 all of the leaders, all of the religious people, nobody would have dealt with this man. Nobody. And Jesus didn't go say, let me go grab my, my latex gloves. Jesus didn't give me hand sanitizer. Like when I walk in the hospital, I hand sanitize at every single stop I possibly can. Five times on the way in and five times on the way out. And then I walk around like this for the next five minutes. I'm so worried about getting sick. Jesus here moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. If I told you that somebody here had a disease, that if you touch it, it's going to eat away your limbs, you would not touch it no matter what. I know you wouldn't. Our God does, not because He's so 
confident in, well, I'll be all right. No. But because he is not bothered by those things. Jesus is God Almighty. And the things that worry us, affect us, mess us up, do not mess him up. Jesus was not troubled at all by the threat of the disease, nor by possible ceremonial uncleanness. He could not get dirty. He's God. When he encounters somebody with a skin disease, he knows I'm about to mess that disease up. It has no chance of messing me up. Just like when Jesus entered into the world. There wasn't a chance, y'all, that the world was going to undo him. There wasn't a chance, y'all, that the world was going to win. When God comes with a plan, God accomplishes the plan. And when Jesus comes to save, like Isaiah says, he's mighty to save. And that's why, as he drew his last breath on the cross, dying for my sins and for your sins, and dying for leprous people, and dying for the whole world, he would cry out, Father, forgive them. And then at the very end he would say, It is nothing is going to get in his way. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, he touched him, and he said to him, I will. This leper had known that Jesus was able, but now he knew that Jesus was desirous. Isn't that good? If you're here today, there is some reason why you came, and there is at least one ounce in you that says, could it be true? And I'm here to tell, today to tell you that not only can it be true, but it is true. The leper says, if you will. Jesus says, I will. The leper says, I know that you can, but will you? Jesus said, yes, I can. I know you know I can, and yes, I will. Not only is he able, but he is desirous. And all of a sudden, he reaches out, he touches this man, and I want you to hear something. Think about how long it would have been since anybody would have touched this guy. He had not been given a high five or a hug or a handshake in a long time. Most people fear him. They stay away, and rightly so, but not God. If you're here today, and it could be any of a number of things, that makes you think I'm too messed up for God. If you're here today and you think I've done too much wrong for God, I'm in too much wrong right now for God. God doesn't know all the things that I've done. This church doesn't know all the things. If, if, if you're thinking anything like that, I want you to see in the leper's story himself, not only is he able, but he is desirous. And if you will bow your heart to him today and say, Lord, will you make me clean? I know you can. Will you? He absolutely will. Nobody, nobody, nobody. The commentator goes on to say, it is a cheering and comfortable thought that with Christ nothing is impossible. No heart disease is so deep-seated that he's not able to cure it. No plague of soul is so virulent that our great physician cannot heal it. Let us never despair of anyone's salvation so long as that person lives. Listen to this. The chief of sinners may yet be brought near to God by the blood and spirit of Christ. Listen to this quote. Men are not lost because they are too bad to be saved. 
Instead, they are lost because they will not come to Christ so that He may save them. If you're here today and you're bad, that only qualifies you. If you're here today and you think, I am so far gone, so messed up, that only qualifies you. And the only reason at all you will not be saved is not because you were so bad that God won't save you. It's rather that you will not come to Him in contrition, saying, if you will, to receive the compassion and mercy that He gives to those who come to Him. Would you today be saved? And perhaps you never have before. Would you today come and say, Christ, will you forgive me of my sins? This leper experiences firsthand the love and mercy of our Lord Jesus. He reaches out his hand. He has compassion and pity and he touches him and he says to him, I will be clean. Look at verse 42 now. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. In life, we struggle struggle and struggle. Life is hard. Life is so hard. But God is our help. Whatever it is that has you struggling, God In our midweek Bible studies, men on Wednesday mornings, ladies on Thursday mornings. We're going through the book of Titus right now. And in Titus chapter 3, it gives us this big long list of, of how we used to be. It says we were once foolish, disobedient, wayward, slaves to various lusts and passions, evildoers. We hated people and people hated us what it says about us Christians. But in verse 4 it says, but God. But God in His mercy changed us. Saved us. If you're here today and you're wondering about your sinfulness and your distance from God and you're needing Him, see today in this passage that He accepts us with compassion. He loves us. God demonstrates His own love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to look back to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What Jesus was doing when He came onto the scene and began His life publicly on earth doing His ministry, He was announcing and demonstrating that the kingdom of God is now here. And the leper knows it all so what has bothered him for so long in his life, what has bothered him for so long in his life, in, in, in the leper's life, was gone like that when God Almighty touched him. And I want you to know here today that if you will believe on Christ, your heart will be changed like that. Truly. 
He approaches Jesus with contrition, and Jesus accepts us with compassion. And now lastly, number three, we advance the gospel with confidence. Look back to our passage in verse 43. The passage gets a little bit strange, and I'm going to use our last five minutes trying to explain After this amazing event, this miracle happens, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. In other words, Jesus has told him, Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what I just did. And and, and all of you are thinking, Well, why? Why would he not? Why would he not want him to tell anybody? But he does tell him to go see the priest. He needs to travel and see the priest. This is what the Old Testament does. You go back and read Leviticus chapter 13, Leviticus chapter 14. This is what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to go show that he's now cleansed. Okay, The priest will tell him what to do according to the Bible to be officially cleansed. And then he'll be back as a normal person. He doesn't do it. Well, maybe he did it, but the Bible doesn't tell us that he doesn't. But I want to show you something here. What Jesus thinks about the Old Testament, in particular, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what we call the Law or the Pentateuch, and and even more specifically, the book of Leviticus. Okay? Jesus here says, go do what Moses commanded. We believe, the Bible attests to it, that the first books of the Bible, first five, the ones that include creation were written by Moses. We believe that. Here is another example of Jesus saying that. You go back and read the early, early, early books of the Bible and they, say, they, they attest to that Moses wrote them. Jesus here says, do what Moses commands you to do. And I want you to know, folks, there are a lot of people today that say, no, Moses didn't write them. And there are a lot of people who object to this. A lot of people say, no way. And I want to remind you that if you want to go against the Bible, then you are going against God. You see here yourself in verse uh, 43, he says, Go do what Moses commanded. Jesus wholeheartedly, in his mind, which is the mind of God, in his knowledge, which is the all-knowing knowledge of God, believes that Moses wrote the Ten Commandments, Moses wrote the book of Leviticus, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You are in error to go against that or to think that you know better. But why does Jesus tell this guy not to? He tells this guy to not go tell anybody. The guy doesn't listen. Look at verse 45. He disobeys. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. The King James Version, I like this, says, he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. He went out, began to publish it much, and began to blaze abroad the matter. In other words, this man is saying, I have been so changed by Jesus, I have to go tell somebody. This is consistent with most of the Bible that when Jesus changes your life, you will go and share it. It reminds me of Acts chapter 4, when the authorities tell Peter and John, They are no longer allowed. It is against the law for them to speak about Jesus. And Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 say, well, whether it's right or or wrong in the eyes of God, you're going to have to decide. But as far as us, we, verse 20 of Acts chapter 4, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. If you want to put us in jail, put us in jail. And you have these 
examples all throughout the Scripture of people saying, no, we have so experienced the power of God and the truth of God that we will advance the Gospel with confidence. This man who had spent the previous life never being around people was immediately loving being around people. Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Let me share what God has done in my life. He goes on telling and spreading the good news about Jesus. But why did Jesus not want him to do that? Look at verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter into a town. It was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. I want to give you two thoughts. I did a lot of study on this. I want to give you two thoughts. The first is that the greatness of God and the true work that he does in you cannot be contained. It cannot be hidden. If God has turned a, some, a, a leper into a healed, cleansed man, then there is no stopping that. He's going to go out and say, hey, look what happened to me. What happened to you? Jesus touched me. God Almighty has changed my life. There is a real sense in which the greatness of God cannot be contained. This guy had to go and tell people. He had to go and tell them what the Lord had done for him. And there's a real sense in which that is true, right? There's a real sense in which many of you have been influenced to not go to church, but you're saying, hey, I'm going to go to church. There are many of you who have been influenced to not believe the Bible, and you're thinking, no, I believe the Bible. And there are many of you who are thinking, I know my friends don't want to hear about Jesus, but I want to tell them about Jesus. He is at work in my life, and I have experienced that he has changed my heart. And so I now want to confidently advance the gospel. And so we are doing that. But I want to give you another thought that, I, that was fascinating. And I know I'm kind of past the sermon, but I want you to hear this. There is a time in God's wisdom for us to not speak. There is a time in God's wisdom for us to not speak. Now, one commentator commented and said, this is not the message the church today needs to hear. Most of y'all don't speak anyway about Jesus. But he says there is a time in God's wisdom to not. And he points out that if you speak of God, even the truth of God, in a wrong, rudeful, out-of-place setting, you ultimately hinder the work of God. That there is a prayerful, spirit-led wisdom to when to speak and when to not. You remember the Bible saying, don't throw your pearls before swine. I have often taught, don't wrestle with a pig, you both get muddy, and the pig likes it. Don't get in an argument with somebody who just wants to argue who's not really listening, right? Be wise about where you speak and when you don't. We ourselves remember Jesus Christ not speaking. We ourselves remember the Apostle Paul hearing that he's in danger and taking off, saying, I'm going to get to the next town. Here. This man went out and told everybody, and it kept Jesus' ministry from advancing town to town. It limited the ministry of Jesus. Please don't hear me today that you need to talk less about Jesus, but please hear me today that you need to be wise about it. Don't type every feeling or complaint you have on Facebook, please. Be careful about your posts. Be careful about sticking it out there every time you have a thought or an opinion. Be wise. Pray first. Realize that with the Word of God, we have the power to speak the life-changing message of Jesus to people, and we want it to work. 
We don't want to just say, well, I told them. They know how I feel. They won't ask me again. You hear people say these things. Well, they know how I feel. They won't ask me again. Well, that's not what we want, right? We want people to know that you believe it and that you love them and that you're here to help and that you want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We want people to know that the church of God reflects God, right? We want people to know that the church of God reflects God. And God here goes to the man in the town that nobody dealt with. Nobody. Had compassion on him. Touched him. Said, I will. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, why don't you? Why don't you? Nobody is too bad to be saved. But some people won't come to Him. Will you approach Jesus with contrition saying, Jesus, I know you died for me and I need to be forgiven. Will you believe on Jesus that He will accept you with compassion? And will we Christians as a church be committed to advancing the gospel with confidence because His work is evident in us? May we not be ashamed. May we be a church that represents Jesus is God Almighty and He is powerful to change lives. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this passage about the leper. Father, thank You that things don't bother You. Demon-possessed people, storms on the ocean, diseases, they don't bother You. Jesus doesn't need hand sanitizer. Father, we thank you for that. Because we don't need a religion to help us. Matter of fact, that often hurts. We need God to get up in our lives and to heal our sins. We know that you're able. We see today that through your merciful, compassionate heart, you are willing. Lord, I pray here today that anybody who wants to be saved would come to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.